0: shit 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 show it's a fucking shit show
1: show. welcome back to shit show saturday we have shit show carly aka carrie (laughs) welcome (laughs) i just learned so much interesting shit about you i actually might include some of that stuff because i think it's kind of fascinating so do you mind if i share some of that basket you go girl you do it wonderful um song
0: song like i know what you're gonna say are you gonna say
1: what you said the other day
0: no no i'm not actually can you walk out to that that's pretty slow like isn't this supposed to be like a sports thing where you do no no i'm not doing that i like really angry music so this was a tough one for me but there's a semi-angry song by emmy called stupid big teeth have you ever heard of it no that's really good stupid big teeth stupid big teeth by emmy yeah okay it's it's I'm only semi trusted to hear that um a semi you said a semi angry song yeah. <laughs> he's dealing he's dealing with her anger in the song so it's perfect yeah okay that's a good title carbohydrate oh man if i could live on potato chips i would be so happy what so kind happy. i would need a variety yeah I would need a variety. It doesn't really matter as long as it's chippy and fried and.
1: But like, what are you going? Like, what's your go-to? You're like at the gas station. I'm ready for a good bag of chips. What are we grabbing here? Depends on the day. Are we playing? What What about like? Are we doing all different flavors? Yeah, like I could do all different
0: flavors. I mean, I love a kettle chip. Like, I love salt and vinegar sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Plain sometimes. I when I travel, when we travel, we've been known to go to grocery stores and spend you know minute ten minutes of time in the in the chip Chip aisle. What the you know country is telling us about themselves with the mm. cheese? Chit- oh, well, I do live in. Can, Quebec here we go, curd. No God, no. That's I okay. don't understand that at all. I like an old cheddar on a daily basis, but my favorite cheese is called Saint Agur, and it's like this creamy blue kind of thing. Yeah, so good. Okay, like a blue cheese with a brie consistency. It's even, yeah, crumbly brie consistency.
1: Mm. Um, Condiment, you're avoidant. (laughs) Do you fall? Do you you align with the theory? Yeah. Is it mustard? It's mustard, right? Yeah. But like, do you not like, you're just kind of like, you don't need a ton of condiments.
0: I don't. I don't, but I do use a lot of sriracha. Okay. You got this is a very valid.
1: I still have not figured out what I'm doing with this, but this shit is real. I think you need to document it,
0: you know, as <laughs> a PhD
1: student.
0: I agree.
1: Um, okay. So how did you find out that you were an adult child?
0: Well, like most people in this community, I've always known. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, a year ago, my current therapist who I had just found in my second session said to me, have you ever explored any adult child stuff? And I had no idea what it was. And so then I did the deep dive and just like Googled everything I could. I found your podcast. I started listening to it. Then I joined ACA like literally a year ago this week. I joined really? ACA. Yeah. And had you moved yet? You had already moved at that point, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. I'd been here for three and a half years. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but the move was really helpful too, right? Because everything, it just loosened everything up. And I started to understand that I wasn't. I was no longer living in my parents' world. I was living in my world. Mm-hmm. And that kind of put everything into perspective. So, but yeah, are so
1: I've- going to local meetings, like in person?
0: No, because I don't speak French. Oh, are there I live, many? I live in the middle of nowhere. So uh, no, there. I, I don't think there are. I've never looked, you know, the closest I got was I went to a Quaker meeting in Montreal once, but it's not really the same thing. Prior
1: to that, did you have any sort of 12-step exposure? No.
0: I've been in therapy for a long time, trying to figure out what's wrong with me. And I've had so many therapists, Mm -hmm. so many therapists over the years, and good ones and bad ones. And no one at any point brought up the adult child stuff. Mind you, I had never mentioned that my father was an alcoholic because he's never talked about it with me. So the only reason I, I know, I mean, obviously he drank a lot when I was growing up, but the only reason I know that he is now in AA and that, you know, the reason he doesn't drink anymore is because he's an alcoholic. Um, the only reason I know that is because my sister let it slip. when I Really? He had a DUI and he had his car taken away from him and that he's in AA. And so, cause you know, family secrets, right?
1: God, if it only would take so many people, just one DUI to do the trick. I'm
0: not sure, that was his only one, but.
1: um, So what was it that led you? So it was your second session with that therapist. What was it that led you into uh starting to work with her? Was it the stuff with your sister-in-law? Yeah, You were just looking for a new therapist.
0: My sister-in-law, and then like, like 14 months ago, 15 months ago, you know, I, well, my sister-in-law i mentioned in group she she tried to kill herself um and when was that that was september like a year ago last september okay and we were really close like we were best friends we spent every day together you know and were you really close with her before you moved like did you always have a good relationship with her we were close but then when we moved here she was basically my only friend like we used to live on her property when we first moved here we lived on her property and you know it's my husband's sister so she we we chose this house because it's proximity to her house and Mm -hmm. um spent hours together talking about relationships and um hunting for mushrooms in the forest you know it's really romantic this picture that I'm painting but (laughs) you know I was with her the day before she she took the mason jar full of pills and washed it down with you know a bottle of wine and it was I had no idea it was I had no idea it was coming. I had no idea. Did you have any idea that she was struggling? No fucking clue. I I knew they were having uh, there was issues. I knew there was issues. Um, but you know, we talked about them so openly that I just assumed if I I I don't know. I the, the suicide thing was never you know, and she she maintained afterwards that it was. Uh, an accident, and I, we know that that wasn't true. And it's just really, I feel funny talking about it because it's not my trauma, right? Yeah, but it is well,
1: affected, yeah.
0: Because you know she she had been hoarding pills for five years, and and then she told everybody it was an accident, and that she it was a spur moment thing, and and she wound up in a coma for six days. With she's someone who needs a lot of control over her image you know she's Mm -hmm. she's basically my mother Mm -hmm. I understand that now of course in hindsight um and I remember being in the hospital at this point I was I started microdosing mushrooms which is another story and that changes your perspective on everything um but I remember being in the hospital standing over her hospital bed thinking she is if she lives she's gonna fucking hate this because Everybody mm-hmm. knows, loves, mm-hmm. loves standing over her bedside, talking like debriefing about what happened and why this happened. She's gonna fucking hate this. She's just gonna go crazy when she comes out of this. And you know, I just saw, I saw so much dysfunction
1: mm-hmm.
0: like right there in my face. And you know, she came out of the coma and she went for like I don't know half a dozen therapists and she declared herself cured and fine and she was you know and i was like no i, I don't think so was everyone but surprised at this at the yeah i mean the there's, a attempt, there's a lot of people that don't know that it was a suicide attempt like we yeah. we tried our best to cover it up you know like i'm a good girl right like i'm not telling family i support. mean like
1: i mean like her husband like you know the family those who knew
0: well husband, I mean- her your husband completely surprised <laughs> No, Yeah. He, uh, no, no, I don't think so. Like, because she she had told a few friends that she was. Every time I talk about it, it's like, this is so fucked up. Like this is, you know, and you just you just go back into it and you're like, wow, how could you be so blind? But she had told a few people, a few of her friends that she was saving pills for a rainy day. And she alluded to the fact that it was about her chronic pain but during in the hospital and this is one of the reasons that I don't speak to her anymore because this came up um when she was in the hospital her husband said yeah I I heard from one of her friends that she was pill she was saving pills in case I ever wanted to leave her um and I said oh my god that's terrible and so this is one of the conversations that came out when she was in the coma and then afterwards this came out that he had, said, had said this said to this? me and she was like oh no I- I have to fix that. I have to fix that. That was not true. I never said that. And, and I'm like, oh my God, this is so much. Like my head just spins even now thinking about it. Um and I was at this point, you know, we had a conversation in my house and I was just heading into an ACA meeting on Zoom because I was in recovery at this point, stopped drinking because I saw so much dysfunction from the alcohol in mm-hmm. this whole situation. Uh-huh. I just decided I had to stop drinking. Uh-huh. Um, and we were in the house and, and she, I just, I, I just, I just looked at her and I thought that I can't, I cannot, I don't care how much I love you. I don't care how much I care about you. You cannot be in my life. If you're going to be like this, like I need to let you go. And this is, you know, like literally my only friend in Quebec. hmm uh-huh. Mm -hmm. so I haven't spoken to her since Uh, she sent me an email a couple months ago that was I think she wrote it after a couple of glasses of wine maybe a couple of bottles of wine and I couldn't understand it and you know she did make some valid points about when we were friends before I was in recovery the things that I Mm -hmm. I did that were wrong and I I own that I really do um and I forgive myself for that and I really hope that she gets to a healthy place. Um, But yeah, I... Um,
1: Two questions. So, I mean, obviously it sounds like the wool came, like whatever that expression is, the wool came out of your eyes or came off the eyes pretty quickly after this happened. It kind of seems like you started to see things pretty clearly, pretty quickly once this happened. So like when you reflect back and when you say things like, I didn't know what I didn't know, like, what is it that you were like in denial about, or like, what were you not seeing that was actually there?
0: Uh, Manipulation. I don't know how much she was triggered, you know, like when we're, when we're exposed to trauma early in our life and then we get retriggered. you know, that. Just, I mean, I think you, you're, you're thought process gets turned upside down. I don't know how much she was triggered before. I mean, I know that after the event, uh, she tried a bunch of stuff. She tried to get, the triangulation was huge. And that was always there. And like, I'm guilty of that too, because I grew up in a house where triangulation was how my mother showed love. You know, she would Mm -hmm. call my sister out for something behind her back or, you know, now my nieces and my nephew. She would criticize them. And then, but that put me on a pedestal, right? So I understand that. So, but I started to, see the triangulation I started to understand that that was not something there were other ways to relate to people right there were other ways and so there was an incident um right before I, I lost contact, I stopped contacting her where she tried to come between me and my husband and I put up a boundary and then she, blasted through that boundary another time and I put it up again and I said, listen, this is not happening. And then she did it one more time. And I was like, I'm done. That's it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And now, now I understand. And, and I was starting to at the time understand what my triggers were as an adult child, gossip, triangulation, like money. Like those are my three main Mm -hmm. problems. Mm -hmm. My three main areas that I need to focus on and work on and understand more.
1: Mm -hmm. so how has this been like because I know you've shared that you know your husband has been you know supportive of you and you know agrees with you but like what is what has this been like for him how is how has this experience like been impacting
0: him yeah well I think he's a, a lovely man um (laughs) you see that (laughs) like i'm just a shit sandwich right here (laughs) i see what you're doing (laughs) it's so hard right because like uh, like, doing this work is is really really hard and like i don't want to be inside my head half the time finding these realizations out and then i think about him like being the partner of somebody who's like inside her head all the time figuring these things out and then like I come up with some random shit and like, sometimes you just don't want to talk about heavy shit, right? Yes. But I need to talk about heavy shit all the time. Like I need to. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he's he's coming to his own realizations. He's been extremely patient with me, extremely supportive. I mean, from day one, right? But we've obviously been through shit. Like I shared with you before we started talking officially, um, like we've been through a lot of shit together. So there's, you know, there's, there's stuff. marriages. Relationships are hard. It says, yes. As an avoidant, right? Relationships are hard. No, he, he's good. He's I wouldn't I wouldn't trade him for anything. The truth of the matter, my dear shit,
1: shows is that there is a huge overlap in those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family and those of us who are suffering from ADHD. I myself got diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago and getting this diagnosis and treating this diagnosis has made such a difference in my productivity and getting shit done. Now let me tell you about Done. Done is an online ADHD care platform where you can get all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD take a free 1-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24/7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy copays as low as $0. Visit get.donefirst.com/podcast to learn more. Again, that is get.donefirst.com/podcast done. Turn ADHD into your strength. Uh, so would you say that's your ACA bottom?
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 Cause like two months after she came out of the, the coma, my, my mom had a heart attack and I had to go home. Uh, and while I was there, my dad's just horrible to me, horrible, horrible, horrible. And, uh, That then I saw more like it was like a continuation of all the realizations and, Mm -hmm. and I was still drinking at that point. And I knew, I've always known, I've always wanted to stop drinking, but I didn't know why I was drinking. And I knew that I couldn't stop drinking alcohol unless I fully understood why I was drinking to begin with. Mm. And then it was like circumstance just laid it out on the table in front of me, and I'm like, okay, That's this fabulous. is. What
1: oh, this is really fucked up shit. Well, let's backtrack. Let's talk about your childhood. Hmm. Paint the picture.
0: Um. Perfect middle class upbringing. Perfect. No My, trauma. No trauma no. at all. Like if you're standing outside our house where we grew up, you look at it and it's just like, yeah, happy, happy, joy. joy. Um, but extremely, uh, I grew up extremely, um, detached from reality, always trying to escape. Um, my father is the alcoholic. My mother is a narcissist and my grandmother is some kind of piece of work or was some kind of piece of work that nobody really understands. (laughs) <laughs> on um, what
1: side mom or dad dad okay
0: my mother was adopted and and she her parents were quite lovely although i don't remember a lot of my childhood uh-huh. um, obvious reasons i don't i don't remember a lot of it so i remember them but only vaguely you know pictures of their house and stuff they had a very they were salvation army officers so really no- <laughs> Yeah. My
1: parents, that's like a big their big charity was always Salvation Army. So, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I done a lot of work my with that. My them grandpa
0: and... was the guy with the bells, you know. Really? Yeah. yeah. really involved in the church. Um, very Baptist. Um, so I don't remember them much, but my my father's mother was just really, really abusive and horrible and um she took in a special a special dislike to me. Mm of all the grandkids and just made it really, really acceptable to put me down. And my parents never said anything. In fact, they used to say, well, we can't do anything about it. She's too old to change, which I know is not true because she was like 50 when she started mm-hmm. treating me like shit and like, I'm 56 and look at me.
1: So it's your sister. Or do you have any other siblings?
0: Nope. Just my sister.
1: Okay. What do you think it was about you with your grandma?
0: I don't know. Well, I was a second grandchild. My my sister is the first grandchild. My dad has two brothers. And after that, there was a boy. And then after that there was twin boys. And then after that there was more boys. So I think it was just, yeah, it was almost like a crime of opportunity. I was just the second born. I don't know. Like I've done, I did a a, a mushroom trip mm-hmm. at Christmas time because I I do a lot of mm-hmm. for healing mm-hmm. and, uh, there's something about my grandparents basement i don't know mm. I, I don't know i haven't unpacked it and i don't know that i need to like mm-hmm. i think i feel i'm at the stage of my healing where what i need to unpack is my reactions to things cuz mm-hmm. i'm never going to be able to change the past but i can change this you know so i i think the way that my father reacts and the way that my grandmother reacts is very much that you trust strangers more than you trust family mm. or you help strangers more than you, like strangers are more important than family is, is the impression that I get when I, I walked away from a company that I had built, I'd sold it. They never paid me. It's another story. Um, But I was in debt a lot and I, I left my only source of income. I was living by myself. I had a mortgage to pay and I, I called my mom and I said, you know, I I just walked away and I don't have an income and I'm going to sue them and I'm not eligible for EI, like unemployment insurance and all of that. And she said, well, we cannot loan you money because we just loaned our friends money. So they didn't have to dip into their RRSP, their retirement savings. So do not ask us for money. We're not going to help you. I was like, oh, okay. I wasn't asking for money, but now I know where I stand with my parents. Like they would rather help some random person on the street than their family. Right. And yeah. 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 It's important that they get acknowledged for absolutely for outside. Like, you know, they, when my mother was in the hospital after a heart attack, my sister was, my sister was texting me the whole time and she was like, you're not going to believe what he just said to me. You know, she's my mother, we don't know if she's going to live or not. And, and my dad is saying, yeah, we just gave $50,000 to such and such a charity. And we're thinking about giving more. And my sister's like, well, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Why is this coming up now? And I said, well, you know, you're not going to get a, Like if they give 50000 to me, I'm not going to put a plaque up in a public space saying that they gave me 50000 right? But
1: <laughs> like my dad, you know,
0: yeah, it's so sad.
1: Yeah. How much older is your sister? Two years. Two and a half years. Okay. So then when did all this drinking stuff with your dad occur? And like, how did she know about it? And how you, you were just, do you think it's because you don't remember your childhood or because you were just like blind to it? Or did it happen before
0: you were born? Which the drinking stuff, like the do Your dad. I, your dad. Well, I just grew up in it. So I didn't know it was, oh, right? I didn't know. Like I didn't, I was always the bartender. Was it ever discussed? Um in passing maybe okay my mother would say yeah your dad is drinking too much and like we knew right because you know you go over he gave. He used to drink rum and coke all the time and it's like and I was the bartender like from eight years old from you know probably seven eight years old I was the bartender so he's like you know two fingers three fingers like the you know mm-hmm. fingers were small so okay yeah I get it but um it kept getting more and more and more and then he gave up rum for a little while and then he just switched to wine and he was going through like like we go over there they always had even in their house. Now they have like a, he's a non drinker. They have a room for wine mm-hmm. and, and he used to make his own wine and he would just drink gallons of, of wine. And, you know, when he's he stopped, my sister just happened to, they were at their weekend home. He was driving uh, on his way to the weekend home and he got pulled over by the cops and they impounded his car. When was-, was this? It was seven, eight years ago, maybe. Okay. Um, and he was drunk and drinking mm-hmm. in the car, and which I think was quite common for him. Mm-hmm. Now that I look back on it, I'm like, okay, I can I can admit that now. But my sister and her husband just happened to be at the weekend place and they my dad called my mother and my mother said, I'm not picking you up. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not and he was literally in the Rocky Mountains on the side of the highway, no car. So my sister and her husband drove to pick him up and then they proceeded to tear apart the weekend home and found just wine bottles hidden everywhere. And then he started going to AA. Was he court ordered? Yeah, he's never he's never told me that. He's never, you know, as far as I'm concerned, as far as he's concerned, what I know is that uh, he stopped drinking because it was affecting his, his health. Education. Yeah. So he stopped drinking for that reason. And he told me that they were here last year. And that's what he said to me. Cause he said, oh, you stopped drinking. I said, yeah, I just didn't, you know I just wanna be a better person. Like I just wanna be healthier and and emotionally more stable. And like, I'm pretty open about, you know I'm going to therapy, clearly I don't go into detail. Um, But you know, he he said, oh, well, you know, good for you. Yeah, I stopped because it was affecting my medication. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, sure.
1: Do you think your sister would know if it weren't for that?
0: No, no, okay, no, I don't think so. We just don't, we don't share. We, we. I grew up in a house full of secrets. There was mm-hmm. all the secrets, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um. So,
1: what was your sister's experience growing up? Like you were, I mean, you you got it from your grandma, but did were you kind of the black sheep? Yeah, with your parents
0: too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my dad still shames me. I'm divorced, once divorced, my second marriage. Um, my dad still shames me inadvertently for being divorced. Like, he'll say things like, oh, so-and-so's son just got divorced. He must be so ashamed of himself. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? And <laughs> uh, I should tell you, I'm going to tell you a really horrible story. Um Please. <laughs> my dad, my dad loves these charity networking groups and stuff. And so he invited me to this father-daughter lunch. Um, you know, so that the fathers in the group could introduce their daughters and say they're so proud of themselves. And so it was during Calgary Stampede. And we we're sitting at this big round table and he arrives and he's he's drunk already, right? Like I was meeting him there because I had to work. So he was drunk already and I was like, oh, that's shitty. He drove, right? And then he proceeded to drink more wine and at the table, all everybody's talking about, oh, so what do you do? And at the time I was working as a at a really interesting job, I was working as a private label formulator for Bath & Body, right? And so I, I said that and somebody's was like, oh my God, that's so interesting. And so then we talked about that for a little bit and then my dad said, yeah, it's amazing, slurring his speech it's amazing that she became anything because she was such a loser in high school. Oh my God. And everyone <laughs> at the table just looked at me and I was like, I felt like I was going to vomit. I was like, I don't know where to go in this conversation. So I just, I wanted to disappear. I just shut down. I stopped talking to anybody. And then like, I walked into his car and I was like, dad, you can't drive. You cannot drive. You're so drunk. He's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I stood there and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I I regret letting him drive, but I didn't, I, I honestly, I was like so lost, I was so lost. He got home fine, continued to drive drunk for years after that. I don't know that for sure, but like, uh, that's, I mean, that's how I grew up, right? Like, because I don't remember a lot of growing up, I can only assume because of the way they treat me now, that's exactly what happened. When I was a kid, right? Fucked up. A lot of conversations around the Christmas dinner table about who gets what, you know? Like with all the nieces and. And I freak out. I'm like, why are we talking about this? This is so, like, is this what this is about? Mm -hmm. Like, are we here to enable you so that we get better things when you die? Because I don't want to play that game.
1: How did the impact of your childhood, how would you describe it manifesting in adulthood?
0: I've always... So what I was saying the other day about big feelings in group, I was talking about big feelings. Everybody's like, "Oh, you're reacting. You're you have such big feelings. You have, you're overreacting." You're mm-hmm. it's like, "No, no, I'm reacting. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're only big. It's only an overreaction because you don't understand what I'm saying." I think, I think I've always had reactions. I had a situation where my my stepson, my 32 year old stepson, was living with us, mm-hmm. and and some of the stuff he did certainly boundary crossing, certainly, uh, I didn't feel respected, which would be normal. But the way that I reacted was so over the top.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this happened shortly after I came back from my seeing my mother after her heart attack. Before I went into recovery, I can remember feeling like I was having an out of body experience. Like I was standing in the kitchen screaming at him for something really small. And inside my head, I'm like, what is wrong with you? You are oh, your fault. No. Like this is not a normal reaction. Calm the fuck down.
1: Mm-hmm. But I couldn't. Mm-hmm.
0: Like it was someone else was driving the bus, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that was like gener. As I used to work with Barb Nagel, and she said, like generations of people before you were driving that bus in that moment, right? And it's true. I, and that's when that's when the whole adult child thing. Like we are, we are. A product of our environment we are a product of our upbringing we don't have control over this this was not this is we don't choose to be this way mm-hmm. and that's when it became really evident to me
1: mm-hmm. so it's been a little over a year that you've been like doing ACA and really working on these issues what has this experience been like for you
0: painful mm-hmm. horrible lovely amazing horrible Hopeful, pretty much all the emotions that you know they outline in the in the back of the big red book that you're supposed to study, so you understand them. That's pretty much all been there for me. I I'm very grateful to have found it. I I'm very grateful to have found ACA. You know, all those years of wondering what was wrong with me. Am I crazy? Am I worthless? Mm -hmm. It all makes sense Mm -hmm. now that I'm in ACA, and now that I. I feel seen and heard by so many people that are going through something similar to me and are open to talking about it because I think we're all attracted to people who have similar trauma to us, right? I don't think chemistry is some mysterious energy that is floating around in the air. I can finish people's sentences and they can finish mine because we've been in the same, right? But some people don't acknowledge that this shit is real. Mm -hmm. Some people see that this is actually an issue for them. And so they deny it, right? But the people that I'm meeting through ACA and through your group are people who know themselves, not afraid to look at it. They're not afraid to see it. And that's been really, that's been the most valuable thing for Mm -hmm. me. I want
1: you to share what you shared the other day about the interaction that you had with your husband
0: and not taking uh, up his feelings. Yeah, that's huge. Well, I'm actually I'm going through something with a friend right now too. And do tell I feel sometimes like the recovery happens so fast, right? It seems so slow, but it's like since that day that I shared that, we had a fight in the car on the way to work and it was about something small. And the first thing I said to myself, I said it out loud was, I am not gonna respond to that. And then inside my head, one of my inner family members most likely my teenager, was saying, you'd better say something. You'd better say something about that. You're going to say something about that, right? And then I said, like, like you shouldn't have said that. That really hurt my feelings, you know? And then what happened was he reacted again and said something to me. And I thought to myself, like, I saw it clear as day. Like, it is not my issue. This is your issue. And I love him. And he's an amazing man. But I have to own what's mine. And I have to just, I have to be able to compartmentalize it, right? Mm-hmm with this friend right now it's through my business she owes me a little bit of money and I'm trying to um I'm trying to get her to pay me and it's been like since June and I keep saying like you got to do this you got to do this and she is an adult child she's not in ACA or anything like that she's doing her own recovery path but she has avoided this for a long long time and then like just yesterday I set up an appointment to meet with her about it and just like let's get this solved and she flaked out on me and I'm like okay this is this is not my issue. This is your issue, and my husband and I were talking about it this morning. And because things like that can still derail me, like I still haven't—I I have work to do, but I can't work now because I have this appointment at four o'clock, and then all day is leading up to it, and then I can't get anything done because I'm thinking about how I'm going to react and what I'm going to do. And in the moment that those thoughts are happening, I—I I can recognize that that there's a better path, but I don't know it yet. I haven't formed it yet. Mm-hmm. So that's progress for sure, but I still can't get anything done. And then Dom, my husband said to me this morning, like you, you spent the entire day when you could have been working, just worrying about that. He said, I think you need to be done with that friendship. And I'm like, yeah, so too. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. And then you turn the corner like that in that song, when you see the Southern cross, when you, when you actually see, see it you know it's like okay i yeah no this is unhealthy this is unhealthy right for me Mm -hmm. so gotta be done gotta move on yeah yeah i've talked a lot in therapy about the difference between isolation and solitude Mm -hmm. sometimes i think there's not a lot of difference except that solitude you're okay with being alone and isolation you're pushing everyone away so that you are alone right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i'm still it's still a bit of a semantic argument in my head the difference. So still kind of figuring that out. So reconciling that part of it.
1: So talk about what your experience has been like being part of this community.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I realized a long time ago that in order to have successful relationships, I had to learn to be vulnerable. I, I think to be successful in anything, you have to learn to be vulnerable, but also with boundaries, right? So in this community, I find everybody is so vulnerable and, and so, honest with themselves you know like the other day uh I don't think I should talk about specific members somebody came in came in hot to a meeting and and I was really upset and then the the I was upset by what he he had said and the next day he came in and apologized and I was like fuck that's so fucking amazing to admit that you're wrong about something and just be vulnerable like that is level of understand like self-knowledge that's what I want to see right that's what I that's what I'm here for that's what I'm here for I some of the people that I've connected with I'm pretty new to the community but some of the people that I've connected with I'm so glad and yeah everyone's great
1: well this has been so lovely oh I got two, two more questions for you three things you like about yourself
0: well I really love song lyrics
1: that doesn't count so it
0: does. I really like that I like song lyrics. Yeah, no. Yes, yes. I no. loved it. I no. loved it when she said that. And I totally appreciate that. And I'm down with that. But okay, so, uh, so like, <laughs> the things that I've learned to really like about myself are the things that are results of the laundry list. Like I love my hypervigilance because it makes me an awesome event planner. I can plan the shit out of any event. So I love that about myself. I can plan the shit out of any event. I love it. I anticipate everyone's needs and mm-hmm. I'm so at it. Um I love that I am a survivor mm-hmm. and, and I love that I am open to improving myself and understanding myself more. That's really, really important. Mm. Yeah. Hope or dream for the future? I just hope that I can always keep moving forward and keep asking questions I never want to stop asking questions me neither that's why I do my job yeah a professional question asker
1: professional busybody <laughs> what on to just let it all go what's making you slow now Don't let
0: it all go